This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. I'm coming at you live uh, from the Vivid Seats studio, which um, today has morphed from my kitchen table to um, a desk in my mom's apartment in Manhattan because um, it's crazy that Vivid Seats studio, it just, it, it changes when it wants to, depending on where I am, which is awesome. Um, so before we get to our guest, remember, use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to 100 bucks on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. And now that we have that valuable piece of information out of the way, I have the pleasure of introducing someone that I have introduced many times before, but I've never introduced him like this. And we'll explain that in a second, but for your listening ears... Nick's Film School's own Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, are you still 16 years old? Yeah, you know, this summer I, I grew a few inches. My voice got a little deeper. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, age, unfortunately, is still the same. 16, you said it. So we are, we are breaking, um, I'm sure, several child labor laws um, because before we get to, to what we have to talk about today, we want to announce to everybody listening that... Starting this season, I guess starting right now, in effect, you are um, going to be coming board essentially full time um, to Nick's Film School, doing writing, doing um, this, which you already were doing all of last season. So I guess it's not really that different. But um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I thought yeah. I thought that Woj or Shams was going to scoop me, but fortunately, <laughs> I kept it under wraps long enough. That yeah, so. Um, I'm really excited to join the team full-time. I had a great five years at Gotham, almost five years, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this season, and it's going to be a pleasure working with you again, John, in a larger capacity, and the rest of the team. Uh, Thank you um, for that um, flattering set of words, which are surely undeserved. Um, And I I thought we'd start off uh, this episode in which we're going to hash it up a little bit about Frank Nilakina just to put a I guess a an exclamation point on FIBA. It's not a period. It's definitely an exclamation point, right? Even just even change like, the I to an exclamation point. Like you know how Pink spells her name? <laughs> like FIBA, you know. See, this is why we brought you aboard. <laughs> this is great. Um so a quick story before we get to that. And um as you are a high school student, I figured you'd appreciate this. Um so quick um sidetrack here FIBA the FIBA games mostly have been running on ESPN plus until um the game against um what was it Argentina um the semifinal game 
which was running inconveniently for me on ESPN News because I was able to stream all the games through my phone. But because that was on um, a channel that I don't get with my cable subscription, I ha- uh, because I'm, I'm cheap and I pay for as, as little cable channels as I can, um, I had to find like one of the other internet streams of the game. So I found some website that was some kind of foreign website that sent me to another website that sent me to another website. And I got the stream of the game, but every time, like, it kept going out, and every time it kept coming back in, it was like there were three or four different um, ads that would pop up um, at, like that I had to X out before I would get to watch the basketball. Um, and keep in mind, I'm trying to do all this while teaching children. I have a co-teacher in the room. Don't worry. I'm not that much of a degenerate. But, you know, the co-teacher was teaching, and I'm in the back pretending to do whatever it is I usually do. So this ad kept popping up that was for some kind of a porno site. And it was like literally a gangbang. Um, so I would have my phone there and I'm hoping to just sneak in a couple couple plays of, of, of FIBA, FIBA action with Frank, you know, and there's like 14, 15 year old children two feet away from me. And I would, you know, have like double penetration on my phone in the back of the classroom. Um, why is this day different from all other days? Well, see, we that's just in that's, Passover. That's actually just uncalled for. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But um, well, I'll let it go because um, you're new here, so it's fine. Um, well, I, yeah. Those things I hate when those. I, I'll let you continue. But yes, I've, no, I've no, that's that. really all I had. Um, but at, at at some point, I was like, you know what? This is probably a bad look if someone walked in and saw me doing this. So I just was then following the game um, by the whatever it is, the play-by-play. And then the game slowly got away from France, and it was like, it was what it was. But it, I was so upset because I couldn't, I couldn't see, you know, I mean, as, as much as I usually get excited to watch pornography, that was, I was wanting to watch <laughs> porn of a different kind. I was wanting to watch of Frank course. porn. Um, and it was, it was quite, the, quite the show. Um, so have, did you watch the game, either live or afterwards, the Argentina game? Um, I think I watched the second half. Well, that was the important half because that's when he like yeah. tried to take over the game, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was the U.S. game. I watched second half, and Argentina I watched second half, and um, it was great. I loved watching it. Who, I mean, what fan of the Knicks who wants to see Frank succeed wouldn't have enjoyed that? How many? What percentage? Like, I, I, because I, you know, there's nothing else to talk about in the summer or the last few weeks, and it's all been Frank conversation on Knicks Twitter. And because of that, it's really easy to tell who are the people who want him to succeed and who are the people who are just like, get this guy the hell out of here. Do you think it's still about 50-50 or do you think it's tilted one way or the other? No, I think there are more people who support Frank than not. The only difference is it, it solely depends on where we're at and how good is Frank. Is he good, you know, meter? Um, it seemed like during the quieter parts of the off season. It was a lot heavier with the people who don't like Frank. And then as the tournament went on, those people spoke up less and less because, you know, I mean, there there were certain things that they could say like, oh, well, but he's doing this or he's not doing that. I think ultimately it's um, there's a larger population of people who see him as an important piece potentially going forward and want him to succeed. Then there are people just like cut ties with this dude. Let's just trade him now. His value will never be higher. That sort of feel and um yeah you know i mean the the best thing he could have done was this tournament and i'm really glad he did it because and, and of course we'll get into it more but this is a really 
bad USA team, but I think it's more that people don't also really respect international basketball that much. And there's this perception that, oh, well, you know, the USA team just stunk. It's like, well, no, they, they did. They didn't do a great job, but it's also the other teams did really well because there's a lot of international talent. I was about to say that that ambulance is coming to carry away you in a body bag because Greg Popovich is hiding in your closet right now with like a, a chainsaw or something, and he's going to um, dismember you for saying that the team stunk. So um, it's been nice knowing you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Did they? I think the U.S. team was... They were okay. They didn't, did they really stink? They weren't good. I mean, all right, so here's the way I look at it. The starting five of that USA-France game, whatever, same thing, um, it included an all-star in Kemba Walker. Um, Who is it, 29 years old. And correct. is like, well, I, I shouldn't, whatever. He's, a, he's like an all-star emeritus. He's like in a really good year in the NBA. He probably isn't going to be an all-star. Correct. Um player that countless can't believe the Knicks passed up on in Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. The best three-point shooter in the NBA last season, if yes. we're going by percentage-wise. No, he's good. Uh, a forward in Harrison Barnes, who still put up 16 points per game last year. And a center who put up 13-7 and seven on 49-39-74 with great defense, even leading the league in blocks per game, Miles Turner. And, and then, and- off the bench... You've got a 2019 all-defensive first-team member in Marcus Smart, and you've got an all-star, who I agree with you, like, of sort of of the Kemba Walker mold, like, maybe in a better year would not be that top, would not be an all-star, but nonetheless was an all-star last year in Chris Middleton. And I think when you put it all together, it's a team that, would they get out of the first round of the playoffs in the Western Conference? Eh, probably. Would they get out of the second round next year? Eh, I probably wouldn't bet on no. it. I I have been obviously paying close attention to the conversation that's been going on over the last week because I'm always it's always interesting to me when people who pay attention to the Knicks like here and there drop in like I'm talking about media people and actually to a certain extent I guess some Knicks fans that are like I don't want to say fair weather Knicks fans but fans that aren't really well I'll just say it like as invested as like your real diehards I'm always curious to see what the narrative is that emerges from when those people drop in and make comments about something. And I wasn't surprised at all where it's like, oh, look, Frank is a good player. We Like, here's the stuff that he could do. And I guess I was just taken aback by that, you know, because we've, like, nothing he did over the last week. Like, I, I did it. did it shock you? Because we've seen him do all of this stuff before. I mean, granted, I know the stage wasn't as as high, but like my main takeaway from this is like, wow, Frank's played on a really shitty team for two years. Maybe if we put him on a team that was like less shitty, he would he would have this kind <laughs> you know this kind of effect on on what they did on the floor much more often than not. Because guess what? If he has a game like he did this morning, we're recording this on Sunday, where he went one for seven. It's not the end of the world because there's other people that could put the ball in the basket, and you're not like, oh, it's his fault because he can't he can't shoot. What do you, what do you what's your takeaway from all this? Yeah, it's nice that he has a head coach who has put him in a position to succeed, and I don't think he's gotten that with Hornacek or with Fisdale. And he had a shorter leash than really anyone did last year. And you could say, yeah, well, some of that's on him with his confidence, and yeah, totally. But 
if you don't even have the opportunity to really prove yourself and you make maybe a few mistakes and you're getting yanked out, that's a really well, hard wait, thing to Wait, hold manage. on. Before, before you keep going, I'm not, I'm not absolving David Fisdale. I'm going to be harder on David Fisdale this year, by the way. I promise. I'm making a commitment to Knicks fans everywhere. I will hold right. you to that. I, you better. You have to. You're going to be <laughs> we're gonna be doing this every week, so I'm, I want you to hold me to that. But it's not just on him because you said it, they did not put him in the best position to succeed. And, and not that he could have done anything differently, but he was drafted into a team that, like, he was the eighth pick in the draft. He was expected to do big things. And I think where we're at is, like, that's not that's not Frank. Frank is not going to be the guy who's going to be the engine of change or even the secondary or tertiary guy. But if he's the fourth or fifth guy on the floor with other talent, like, you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, but when you say expected to do big things, what timeline are you talking about? Because That's and- a different question. Right. We've talked about before how Porzingis obliterated our perception on what a project should look like. And Frank was a true project. And, you know, it's like, you know, how did Damian Dotson do when he was 20 years old in the NBA? Oh, he wasn't (laughs) in the NBA? Interesting. Now, again, I'm not saying that Frank performed well offensively the last two years. The stats are pretty clear. They are what they are. Right. Exactly. But – it's the other thing, and you can say, oh, well, then he shouldn't have come over. Whatever. The point is he, he did come over. We're seeing him, someone who really is taking a long time to develop, or just the standard time that we expected, and we're seeing great things to start with. And, you know, I, I see a lot of people, at least this summer, who are talking about Siakam, and I hate it. I, I, I know what they're saying in terms of the archetype, but I think we just need to shelve comparisons and just let Frank be Frank. The biggest thing that we needed to see from Frank Frank, this tournament was can he be a rotation player in the NBA? And a lot of us believed, even before the tournament, that yes, with time, with the right seasoning, and with the right development staff, he can be. I actually gave him the opportunity to show to everyone he can stick in the NBA. He just has to contribute doing what he's doing now. And the is on to the play calling. And yes, that's also on Frank to keep this up. But I feel like we saw a more confident, a more vocal, a more um, effusive player on the court and and even when the when the when the clock stopped he had that attitude that swagger that we've been hoping to see uh i i couldn't agree more with everything that you said um the thing that that i i guess i just want to add is you know to your point about we saw i I love that you use the word effusive can we figure out a way to use the word effusive every podcast that we do because that would be wonderful Um, let's do it my daughter's trying to say effusive behind me, but she's not three years old yet, so she she can't quite get it out. Um, I like this. I mean, this is like the the ultimate and like the nitty gritty. But we saw Frank when he was having bad offensive games uh, over the last two years. It would look and feel and smell and taste a very particular way. Um, I am a crazy person, and I got up at four in the morning today to watch. Um, the game that uh, France eventually won um, against uh, Australia. And even though Frank only shot one for seven, it just, it had a different feel. To, his performance had a different feel to it. He, he, he was still, like, his up to his last shot, he was still, like, confidently firing it up. And I know, you know, of course people will be like, well, who gives a shit? He was still one for seven. It doesn't matter. But to me it does because of what you said Two minutes ago, which is that the timeline. And another thing you didn't 
mention is Frank just turned 21 years old. Pascal Siakam, I know, I, I know we 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 want to shelve those. We want to shelve those comparisons, and I agree with you. We want to shelve those comparisons, but for what it's worth, Pascal Siakam is 25 years old. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like you look up and down about guys that were drafted as projects, and it's just, and then you throw into the fact the positional stuff. What I mean that, and that's kind of where I just wanted to go before, you know, to, to really get your opinion on. <sighs> Where are I, 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 I? This might be sacrilegious, but part of me just wants to kill the "is Frank a point guard" conversation. Not even to decide that he is or he isn't, but just I feel like this tournament. Another thing that it showed us was that he needs to be on the floor with another guy or probably another two guys that can shoulder more of the offense. Partially from a ball handling perspective and partially just from a, you know, you need a bucket, the guy can get you a bucket. And we saw him alongside Fournier and, you know, to a certain extent, uh, DiColo, even Batum a little bit. I feel like that really helped him over the course of this FIBA tournament. What do you think? Yeah, it's amazing to me how much better Frank looked when surrounded by quality, talented players who can shoot the ball. Um, Shooting helps. You know, I mean, like... <laughs> Absolutely, space on the floor, and, and that opens things up more for him, especially because um, from what I've been understanding, it's the FIBA and international is a lot. The, the spacing is not nearly as um, what it's not like what we see in the NBA. Um, but you know, the the thing I was thinking about this past week was it shouldn't be a surprise that Frank was able to do what he's done with France as a starter, because if you look back, he's a winning player. Yep. And I know people will scoff at that idea. Clearly, the train Metro North disagrees <laughs> with me fervently, but um, it's you know, just that's the Metro exactly. North train scoffing. <laughs> it's a very effusive scoff. Um, <laughs> but if you take a look throughout his career, right, he was the Pro A best young player two times in a row as a teenager in France, and you could say like, oh, well, it's a it's weaker competition. Yeah, well, there are still other young players. He didn't have to win both of them. He just he happened to. FIBA U sixteen champion. FIBA U18 champion. He was an MVP of the championship game. First season with Porzingis, the best two-man rating. I believe it was a 6.6, 6.0. It was, it was – I looked it up actually. I, I looked it up this week for my piece. I think I actually had it at a – I think it was at a six at some point and then maybe it tailed yeah. off. I had it at four point something, whatever. It was the highest of any heavy minute combination yep. that, that Porzingis had. And then you look at last year and – you know, I've seen I've seen like, oh, he's injury prone. Well, he played 78 games the first season. Um, I've also seen the and also just going back, he was drafted, and then the next day got on a plane to play as yes. a starting shooting guard for his French national for his French team um, in the do or die game for the French league final. Uh, like that that's a winning mentality, and I don't think it's a it's a mistake or, or I don't think that. Let me start over. The Knicks were terrible last year. We can all agree on that. And breaking, again, we're breaking news they, here on the KFS yes. <laughs> podcast, folks. I don't think they actively sought to tank, but I think that they also over the summer because they couldn't spend. But I think they also in season were like, we understand we're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and when you see the fact that he missed what forty three games or so, just a, around there. And the fact that the Knicks had their worst season, and then you look at the season prior, and the fact that he and KP played pretty well, 
it's twofold. Yeah, you play better when you're surrounded by p- better players, but also there was a noticeable absence last season from especially from a defensive standpoint and even offensively there was it seemed like the passing was among the worst we've seen of Knicks teams in, in or any team really in years. Um, and so with that said, it just it it seems that by putting a healthy Frank on the court, you're at least going to see your other guys blossom. And like I said, he's a rotation player based on what we've seen. We just need that to to, to remain constant. And and I think just to nail this one home, um, it's not it's not only that they were god awful last year, which obviously they were, but they were god awful in a way. And you know, I, I some people put this completely on Fizz. Some put this partially on Fizz. Some people put this you know more on on the players that. Um, Perry tried to get from the, the dollar bin um, and Moutier and Hazonia and, and what have you. Cantor obviously was already there. I think they were bad in a way, and you mentioned the, the low assist total. I think it was the lowest assist percentage the league had seen in not only last season, but a few years. They were bad in a way that went completely away from the, the biggest strength that Nilakina has. So it's like, it's almost as if I'm not saying they did this, but it's almost as if you designed a team perfectly suited to play towards Frank's weaknesses, or at the very least, not accentuate um, the strengths that he has. Now, um, we have a team full of a bunch of different players. And this is obviously the question that's been on everybody's mind the last, you know, couple couple days, and I'll, I'll ask it to you. Is there a particular player, a particular combo of players, a particular five-man lineup that you feel like, okay, now that we have these guys, this is the lineup that Frank not only could succeed in, but he you know, deserves the chance to try to, to get to play with? Yeah, you know, the thing that I try to go back to is really fitting what those pieces would be in terms of like we know or at least we have a really clear idea that Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle are going to be starting. Yes. So then it goes to, okay, well, who are you playing at the three? And I have a very hard time seeing Marcus Morris come off the bench. I just do. I'm, I'm on, with you on that. I, I'm there. Yeah. Right. Even, you know, we could say with Fizdale's whole eat what you kill, but I just – I don't see Marcus Morris coming from a team that was in the playoffs last year, and he did. He made a really, he did a really great job, and was was a nice reason for why they did as well as they did. I don't see him coming off the bench, and so you know that restricts someone like Knox to the bench, which is fine. But then it's okay. Well, from there, who fits better? And you then have to evaluate all these pieces. Like I don't see why Dennis Smith Jr should be anointed the point guard position. Same thing with Alfred Payton. Either of those guys, and even Frank, you know, I mean, the idea of him starting would have been absolutely ridiculous about three weeks ago. And now I think it's it's less crazy. It's understandable why maybe he wouldn't be in that position. But if he's able to shoot even better than he was last year, and I get it, that's a very low benchmark. But combining that with his defense if you put him and Dennis Smith Jr. together then that's at least enjoyable but I think realistically it makes sense to play him off of the bench with R.J. Barrett but then I don't think R.J. Barrett is going to necessarily come off of the bench so and I agree with you I think that he and R.J. are a very great pairing in theory I it just it makes so much sense 
Absolutely. I just don't I don't see both of those guys coming off the bench. And maybe they do. You know, like maybe Wayne Ellington is um, a great he's a great floor spacer. Maybe he starts. Maybe Dotson starts. Maybe there's even a trade. Who knows? It's but it's the sort of thing where those two guard positions, the backcourt is so confusing to me because there are a lot of different combinations that I feel don't work. Yes, it's really I, just I finding the that. ones that do. And by there, it's almost process elimination, but it's a re- it's a lot harder to do than we think. Um, I I just you know, for the people out there who are like, he's the third pick in the draft. He obviously can't come off the bench because they were a 17-win team last year and you don't draft a guy third and then have him come off the bench if you stink. Um, and look, I get it's a different... Every situation is unique, but you don't have to go back that far to... Fu- like, Marvin Bagley was the second pick in the draft um, out of out of Duke, <laughs> you know? Um, obviously, very, very talented skill player. Came off the bench for Sacramento. You know, ended up starting some late in the year, but started the year coming off the bench. Um a year before that, it's not quite analogous situation because they were a really good team. But Markel Fultz came off the bench in Philadelphia. Obviously, he had a lot of other issues going on. Um, it, it's it's not. Oh, and uh, Jalen Brown again, a different situation. Boston was a much better team, but Jalen Brown, you know, started his his rookie year coming off the bench as well for um, for Boston, and I believe Brandon Ingram did to a certain extent, too, in his rookie year, too. Yeah, he played 79 games, only started 40 games. And Brandy... I think Dragon Dragon Bender might have done the same. Yeah, he was the fourth pick in that same draft. Um, now, obviously, not not nearly the the um, pedigree that a Barrett has. But Ingram, Ingram, again, another Duke guy, came with a lot of pedigree, um, only started 40 games his rookie year for a Laker team that was, was going absolutely nowhere. It's not, like, sacrilegious to do this. And really, at the end of the day, if the kid's getting 25 minutes a night, does it really matter whether he's starting or coming off the bench? It doesn't to me. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, there's going to be very few things that I'm going to be like, you know, hard, hard definitive stance on between now and training camp. I really want to see Frank and RJ play some minutes together with at least one shooter. And, and also, by the way... Bobby Portis is slated to be their yep. backup five. So there you go. just going to say. Yeah, no, you get some shooting from a position that you don't usually get uh, shooting from. If, in fact, Morris does start and you get Knox coming off the bench as well, there's another guy who could, you know, he's probably going to be, um, I would say, an ab- above-league average three-point shooter. So I, I think the pieces are there. Yeah. Um, this is a deep team. That's the thing. It's, yeah. It doesn't have a lot of top-end talent, but yeah, it's but it one of the deep. deepest in the league. Yeah. So you don't need to, to stack all your guys and – in the starting rotation, you can have those really great guys who are off the bench. As you're saying, if RJ's still getting 25 minutes a game, does it really matter when he starts? I don't see it mattering yeah. very much. I think if he's playing with the right players, especially if he's playing against second teams and, and backup units, and that's another thing with Frank where it's like I feel as though the starters he played against in this league uh, for the FIBA tournament are around the same, if not better, than the um, bench units he'll be facing in the it's NBA. It's a great point. Yeah, no, it's a great... I, You know, the, the more we talk about this, the more it's like we just saw him do all this stuff and the expectation... You go back and you think of, like, the expectations were so high over the last two years. You know, maybe the best thing for him was that his stock had essentially, you know, more or less bottomed out by March and April um, of last year. And now it's like almost, you know, there's nowhere to go but up. 
Um, I have to run to a rehearsal toast because that is apparently a thing that people do now um, <laughs> on Sunday nights of all nights. So I have to cut us uh, cut us off a little short, um, and I'm going to end with this question. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot, but I am putting myself on the spot too. Should the Knicks not pick up his fourth-year option, is there going oh. to be any way that I am going to be, a, be able to bullshit my way into thinking that that is not just the most abhorrent decision that this franchise has made since... Um, Scott Perry came aboard. No, that would be the worst decision imaginable. And it's not even because, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with Frank's going to be this incredible player. It's from an asset perspective, that is the worst idea the Knicks could make. Because if you decline it, then you can't get anything on the open market for him because it's like with Hazonia. Um, exactly. You know, or Alfred Payton even. They didn't – they really didn't go for very much. Um, it's the other factor of, okay, you saved $6 million. Congratulations. Let's look at next summer. Who are you really going <laughs> to yes, spend? Yes, let's look at You're next telling summer. You're there is a player that's, that, that $6 million is so crucial to have that it's more important than betting on what will be a 22-year-old versatile defensive, great defensive player. Seems crazy to me. I, you know, It's one thing if in 2021 where if the Knicks are in a position, financially they, we know they will be, but if they can even remotely attract, attract talent. And it's, you're a, it's a at, different conversation. Like, capital. Right, but that but that's so far away from now. And the fact is, like what we just went through, it's not even worth thinking down that line. As for next season, there's no reason whatsoever that the Knicks shouldn't be picking up his option, that they shouldn't be picking up Dennis Smith Jr.'s option. I mean, those are the only two guys I believe that – or, you know, maybe, uh, Mitchell Robinson, although his might be guaranteed. Well, Mitch, uh, Mitch is going to be – yeah, no, his – I think, yeah, no, that's guaranteed. And then they're going to have to pay him the summer after that to avoid um, letting him go into unrestricted free agency. But Most yeah. likely. Um, yeah. I, I, yep. I, I couldn't agree more. I just, I, the fact that I even feel the need to ask the question is like, you know, I'm, I'm like you. I have faith in this front office. I have, I, every move that they have made since Perry came aboard. Even if you don't like the move, it has there's it's been justifiable. But I guess maybe this is you know this is the Knicks fan PTSD in me. You know it's like despite two years of you know what I feel is like general competence, there's still that little part of me inside that's like man I just I, I need to see them I need to, I need that date to come and go and have Frank still be you know and have the option picked up. I just I gotta see it. So yeah, I can I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Um, I would ask you. Usually, this is where I ask you if there's anything you want to plug or promote. But I guess uh, we kind of did the top. Is there anything you want to any anything you want to say? Any charities you want to talk about? I mean, Oof. wow. Um, any 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 interesting meals you had this week? Um, <laughs> uh, I made a really good salmon, potatoes, and string beans meal last night. There that was a lot go. of fun. Um, was this yeah, your own yeah. doing, or was In this terms- like a? a um, Hello Fresh or one of those jobs? No, no, this this was all me. Okay, um, nice. It's like Old Bay dillweed and onion powder, and really good. And then potatoes are nicely seasoned with some garlic, salt, and peppers. Roast them, broil them for a little bit, and then um, string beans were just you know not as heavily seasoned. It was just salt, pepper, olive oil, I believe. It turned out really well. It's a nice, flavorful dish. You know, so, um, 
I, it sounds delicious. One, um, I had a bet with my wife that we would not be able to get um, Dillweed and Effusive on the same podcast at any point this season. And lo and behold, <laughs> here we are. I've already lost the bet. What do you know? Um, Jeremy, um, I appreciate you taking time on a Sunday. And uh, I'm also, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'll share this more as time will come, but I can't tell you how excited I am to have you officially joining the team um, because you are just very awesome generally as a person, but you also know what the hell you're talking about with with, uh, with hoops in this team. So uh, it's going to be a fun year. Um, I, I am really looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks so much. And I, I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> Why, thank you, sir. Get a room, you two. Yeah. All right. Uh, everybody out there, thanks for listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Um, we will be back with you with another episode very shortly. Peace out. Have a good week. Good evening.